morning, church. Welcome to our neighbors. I'm glad to be together with you. Um, had a, a, a fun, fun-ish time in Lakeland. I mean, they're all right, but it's not, that's, that's not the same as being home. So I'm glad to be back together with you. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I was uh, talking with my mom. My mom's, um, she's got a real quiet demeanor and she's gotten quieter the older that she's gotten. And so I'm, uh, she, she lays in bed a lot, but it's, it's a big bed. And so I just lay beside her and she's watching uh, David Jeremiah and they're doing this massive, um, you know, Christmas presentation thing. And there's trumpets and trombones and all this stuff. And mom kind of leans over. She says, Michael. I said, yeah, mom. She says, are you going to mention that it's Christmas time at church? I said, mom. I think people know. (laughs) If you've been together with us for the last couple of weeks, uh, we have not actually been making much of a mention of Christmas time. We've been in the series um, about the Sermon on the Mount, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 6. And so here we are now, uh, so seven days before Christmas. I am going to acknowledge that it is that time of year. Um, And so this is also your warning. You have seven more days to finish shopping if that is something that you're going to do. We will be gathering together next Sunday. Um, It seems uh, seems consistent to celebrate Jesus on the Jesus Day. I don't know. Anyway, um, so we will be gathering at our normal time. I don't know what that does for your your holiday plans, but but that's, um, that's, that's what our plan is. I haven't quite done the calculus on how to work with our kids on that, but we'll figure it out. (coughs) Excuse me. So um, as as we are talking about the Christmas season, um, there's something kind of beautiful that I've seen in the culture where uh, there have been a a number of different voices that are trying to help us to see um, the the Jesus narrative kind of in flesh and blood, like to see this, this, uh, if we've been in church or we've been in, in America at all, like this familiar picture of the manger scene um, which we can kind of get a, a sanitized version of it, like where we see, you know, just Mary and Joseph and they're just kind of sitting and all the hay is clean and none of the animals are pooping. And so there's this, there's this sanitized vision of what this night was like for us. And I really have appreciated some of the, the, um, the endeavors to try to put, put skin on that night and this event and things like that. But one of the things that, that I've heard that I'm not quite sure has rubbed me the right way, and Pastor Matt has, has really led me in this, is, is the idea that this is like the, the biggest unplanned pregnancy ever. Like typically unplanned pregnancies are, uh, you know, there is a, a, a source of the pregnancy. There is some kind of, uh, you know, event that precedes the, uh, the pregnancy, uh, if I can be um, uh, not blunt, I usually am blunt, but I'm going to avoid it this time. Um, if, I can, if, I can take, if I can blunt it a little bit, um, there normally is a cause for the effect, right? And, and so this is a, a, a pregnancy that happened without any kind of uh, preceding events that might incur a pregnancy. And so I, I've heard folks say that this is like the biggest unplanned pregnancy ever. And, I, and again, I appreciate uh, the, the, us trying to think through what it is like to be these people. These are not just uh, stories. These are not just like spiritual um, figures. This is not just a, a made-up story coming out of the mind of something. Like these are flesh and blood people who lived through this experience. And so I appreciate that. But I also like, 
I think it depends, like to call this an unplanned pregnancy really just depends on whose perspective you're looking at. If you're looking from an earthly perspective, like I don't think Mary woke up that morning and you know what, I'm just gonna have a baby. Like I'm gonna be pregnant today. Like that was not on her mind. So from an earthly perspective, um, yeah, it was not in the plans. Like this was not on my schedule for the day. Like I, I did not know that this was gonna happen. But from heaven's perspective, this might be like, the most planned pregnancy ever. And so that's what I'd like to explore together uh, with you this morning, if that's okay. And as we do that, I'd invite you to pray with me. Um, It's our habit together to pray the disciples' prayer. Um, And I don't usually pray it out of the King James, so the words are on the screen if you'd like to pray together out loud with me. But at the very least, I'd uh, invite you to bow your hearts and let's begin this week together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Typically on our Sunday mornings, I'll start with a passage and uh, we'll kind of break it up into smaller pieces and try to digest it um, to zoom in a little bit. But there's an art and a science both to reading the text. So sometimes it's helpful to zoom in and look at all the details. And sometimes it's helpful to zoom out and try to get a bigger picture. So what we're going to do together this morning is kind of unusual. Um, But we are going to zoom out, and I'm actually going to cover a number of different passages. Um, So if you're comfortable flipping through your Bible, then I'd invite you to flip through your Bible. If you'd like one, there's a blue one probably tucked under the chair in front of you. Um, And I'll call out the page numbers in those blue Bibles. Um, But if you would like, uh, I think in the app, um, there's a sermon notes page, and I've already got all of the texts that we're going to do through. You just tap them, and that'll show the, the text up on the screen. And then you've got a record. You can go back and check my work later in the week, okay? But we're going to start in Luke chapter 1. Um, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at Luke's account of the story that we read this morning. We read from Matthew. Um, and Luke, as he's writing, what I love about Luke is that he's a doctor, and the way he writes is, is very detail-oriented. And his purpose in writing was he wanted to make a chronological account of the, the verifiable facts of the story of Jesus' life. So if you're kind of skeptical about Jesus or about faith, like Dr. Luke is a dude that you can trust. He's a guy who went and talked to the eyewitnesses and did interviews and built this biography of Jesus. And he gives us one of the most detailed records of Um, the story that we're going to talk about. So I'd invite you to look with me in Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to look, or we're going to read together verses 26 through 38 to begin. (coughs) In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. 
and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Again, it's not on the schedule for the day. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age is also conceived the Son. And, and, it's, and this is the sixth month with her who is called Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. To you. And the angel departed from her. So pause there momentarily. <clears throat> Probably need to gather, so maybe, uh, Okie So we'll pause there at the end of verse 38. <laughs> um, and we have here uh, something that is unusual. If you're not, if you're not, um, if, if the few times that you focus in on church, is, is Christmas and Easter, then you probably think that angels show up all the time, but they're actually really kind of unusual. Angels will pop up uh, at moments where history is turning. They're kind, of, they're kind of the ones that get involved to make sure that everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. So it was really uh, kind of unusual for an angel to drop in. And this angel drops in and tells this, this virgin, this young lady who uh, was engaged, she was not yet married, she was engaged and had not yet had intercourse, she says, hey, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, I don't really understand how that works because usually when you're pregnant, there's something that happens before that. And I haven't had the before. And so what am I going to do with the after? And, she's, and the angel says, uh, this is actually a, a blessing from God. Like you are, you are chosen. And, and there's something in this um, to me that would be unsettling. Would anybody else be uns- Like for me, there's a bunch of reasons. But would anybody else just be unsettled to find that you were pregnant? Like, like they're, they're, okay. Very unsettled, right, right. So there's, there's this unsettling, like, okay, I've got to grapple with this. Um, what I, what, like, uh, I, don't, I don't understand exactly what's happening. Um, but he says, you have found favor with God. Like this, this pregnancy is a sign of God's favor. There's something that's happening in heaven that is being enacted on earth, and it's a sign of God's blessing. And, and, and Mary's response is, is, is really in, incredible. Um, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm not going to fight God on this. Whatever it is that God wants to do, I trust that he's good. And that however this shakes out, it's going to be for, uh, for blessing. And so she says, okay, sure, I'm, I'm on board. In, in my mind, I'm thinking crisis mode. Like, one, you got to pay for babies. Babies ain't cheap. And, and, and two, like, I don't have yet a husband to take care of me. And so now I've got to negotiate. Um, I've got to negotiate the, the, the tension now that's been introduced to my family because I'm still part of my father's household. I've not yet been transferred to my husband's tra- tra- household. <laughs> I've not yet been transferred to my husband's household. And so I'm in this kind of transition phase as it is. And so where does my support come from? Like where, where do I look for provision and protection? 
And I think she looks to God and says, God is the one who's going to provide for me in all of this. If this is something that God's doing, then I can trust his hand in it. And, and I don't know what those conversations with her father sounded like. I don't know all the details of what those conversations with her betrothed, with Joseph, sounded like. But they both came to a point where they said, yeah, if, if God's in this, then we're going to do it and we're going to make it work. Now, if, if you're like me, um, sometimes God takes me a long place, <laughs> and uh, I, I go along with my arms crossed. I'm like, I don't really know. I guess this is the way that we're going. You better know what you're doing. I don't think I... And, and that's typically how I go. But um, Mary doesn't do that. Like, she not only goes from crisis to, like, acceptance, she goes from crisis to... Praise. She ends up singing a song. Look with me in Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. She sings this song, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Not only is she willing, she's excited and praising God for the thing that He's doing in her. My soul or my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked upon the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones <clears throat> and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So she goes from crisis to praise. There's something that's happening in heaven that's being worked out in her body on earth. And she may not have complete understanding, but she seems to have some kind of a historical tie to what's going on here. I don't know why. I, I, I wrote my notes in a really strange way, and I read more than I meant to read, so I'm sorry I was confused. Mary, Mary seemed to have understand that her calling, that this, this, this thing from God was actually her part in a greater story. Now, we kind of come to this regularly every 12 months or so. We're reminded of this story, and we kind of get zeroed in on, the, uh, on, on this one event. Um, but Mary seems to have understood that her, her, her role in what was happening was part of a bigger story. She actually mentions other people's names, which we may or may not actually be aware of their story, but I'd like to, I'd like to if, if we can, um, place Mary's component into the bigger story of what it is that she's talking about. She mentions three people by name in, in uh, her interactions with God. She says, first, in, in 1.32, she says, uh, or actually this comes from the angel. Um, he will be, so the child that will be born to Mary will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So who's his father, David? Like I thought his father was God. I'm not exactly sure what's going on there. 
And then in 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, um, Jacob is a really interesting character. He starts off his life as like a, a trickster. He's always trying to pull one over on people until, you know, the trickster gets tricked, which is a really funny story about how his uncle did him over number of times and God still protected him and all of that. But by the end, not the end of his life, but towards the latter part of his life, he, he, gets a, he starts a new season with a new name and his name goes from Jacob to being Israel. So he actually gets mentioned in this twice and as Jacob in 133 and as Israel at the end in 154, God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And then in 155, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So I don't know if, if like those names uh, threw up flags for you. Like, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what's going on. But I'm, I'm hopeful that by the end of the morning, we'll have a better, um, a better grasp of some of these stories and Mary's place in them. But right now, I'm, I'm panicking a little bit because that was my introduction. And we're like 20 minutes in. So... I'll, I'll take another sip of coffee and we'll do this. Thank you, Dignity Roasters. <clears throat> um, I'll ask you to navigate with me to Genesis 12. We'll work, we'll work back through these. Um, we'll work back through these from the beginning because, I don't know, it makes sense to me to start at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 12, and if you're using these blue Bibles... <clears throat> It's going to be on page 11 of these blue Bibles, Genesis chapter 12. We meet a guy named Abram. Abram is another one that gets his name changed as he goes along um, from Abram to Abraham. I typically, because I can't ever remember where exactly his name gets changed, I just call him Abe. Um, so whether he's Abram or Abraham, he's always Abe to me. So, <clears throat> And Abe, Abe was like uh, just... A normal guy. He lived in a, in a land called Ur, and at the time, it was really not uncommon for people to believe in multiple gods, that there was a sun god, and there was a moon god, and there was a god that made grain, and there was a god that made rain for the grain, and the interactions between these gods meant that you had to encourage them to play nicely together because you want to eat, and so if the rain god's mad at the grain god or the earth god, then like there's a problem, and so that was kind of how their mindset worked, and I'm inclined to think that that was how Abe worked. Like Abe was living in a world where there, were a god, there was a god behind everything, and we just had to placate them all so that we could get along, um, but Abe has this experience where God, the one God, shows up and says, yeah, I'm asking you to leave that and do something different. And this is in Genesis chapter 12. Um, and we've actually rewound the clock to maybe around uh, 2100 BC. So we're 2100 uh, years before uh, Jesus' time. We've, we've rewound the clock pretty significantly. And here, now the Lord Yahweh, the one God, says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is a guy just kind of going along, living his life, doing the normal thing, like making sure that all the gods, like doing the sacrifices that he needed to do to make sure the little G gods could all play nice together. And then out of the blue comes this one God, Yahweh, who says, yeah, that's bogus. 
Like, I'm the one God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who established everything, and the one who, who's by strength and arm makes everything happen. And what I'd like for you to do is to leave your old life and come to a new life, and I'll show you when you get there. So just start driving. <clears throat> Here, I'll give you a GPS, but it's going to be off. And when the GPS turns on, then you know that you've got to where you're going. Okay. Uh, but... There's a couple of things I'm going to do with you on this journey. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to, I'm going to bring uh, people from you. Like, like you're going to be a founding father. I'm going to bless you and make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. Like, I think that that's a pretty good deal. Like, that would make navigating traffic a whole lot better in my mind. Like, if I know for sure that those who curse me will be cursed, like, I'm, I'm confident, right? I'm just going on living, working through life. And God comes to Abram a, a number of times, maybe not as, as regularly as we might like to think. It's not every week, but every couple of years, God kind of drops in to Abe's life and, and, and has a clarifying conversation with him. The next one I'd like to look at is in chapter 15. And it's kind of an interesting thing because God shows up in chapter 15 and there's a weird thing that God asks him to do. It's weird for us, but it made sense for them. Um, where God asks him to prepare a legal contract. Now, when you think of preparing a legal contract, you think, I really don't want to talk to lawyers. But after you get over that, like that angst or that, uh, uh, um, uh, whatever that is, the loathing that you have of like, I don't want to talk to a lawyer, um, you go and you talk to the lawyer and you get their lawyer to prepare some paperwork because we're going to make a legal contract. For them, um, kind of before writing, what you would do is you would take some animals and you would bring the animals together and you'd cut them in half down the middle and you'd separate the two parts and you'd lay them side against side. And the idea was that whatever agreement gets made in between these corpses, uh, we are legally bound to do. And if we break the oath then we become like the things that we made the promise in. Does that make sense? So this is a way that you made it, this is a way that you made contracts before you could write things down and people had signatures and all that kind of stuff. You'd go out and kill some things and, uh, and say like, may I be like the things that are dead here um, if I break my promise, okay? So God says, I want you to prepare for me a legal contract, go get some animals, cut them in half and set them aside. And so what we're going to read is, is the, uh, in verse 13. Um, I'll, go, I'll go to 12. Um, chapter, Genesis chapter 15 on page 13 in the Blue Bible. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 12. The sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord Yahweh said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. I'll just pause there. So, so we've got Abram. He's kind of an old guy. He, he's, he's probably 99 years old or something like that in that ballpark. And he says, I'm going to make a great... You don't have any kids yet. 
but you're gonna. And he's like, okay, sure. He says, I'm gonna make, a, I'm gonna make your people a, a great people. They're gonna spend some time as slaves, about 400 years, which I don't know how encouraged I am by that. But then they're gonna be delivered and they're gonna get to, they're gonna inhabit this land because I'm doing stuff with the nations. Um, but did you notice, like in verse 17, did you notice who it is that stands in the midst of the pieces? Who is it that makes the contract? In verse 17, the sun had gone down and it was dark and behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Abe was asleep. He'd done all the work. He'd set up the contract. He'd called all the lawyers together, but then he passed out. And, and now as he wakes, he sees that there's a fire moving back and forth between these pieces, stating the words of this covenant. God says, I'm making, a, I'm making a covenant with you, Abram, but I'm the one who's taking all the terms on myself. If I don't do this, then let me become like the things here. But there is, like, there is no content. Like, there, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm going to do this. I am going to bless you, and I'm going to bless all of the families of the earth through you. I'm going to do it. Now, to Abe's credit, he believed him. He's 100 years old. His wife is, is, is old too. And I don't have any kids, and yet you're saying I'm going to have a bunch. I have enough to like fill up a city and fill up a couple cities and, and fill up a nation. Like, okay, I don't quite know how you're going to do that. And I don't know that I could chase a toddler right now to save my life, but I guess we'll figure this out. He believed them, and God made a promise. Now, uh, Abe maybe wasn't as patient as, as we like to think he was because he, he understood. He said, I'm supposed to have a kid. But he looked at his wife and said, well, she's real old. That's probably not going to work. And his, and his wife says to him, well, I've got this other woman that we got in Egypt one time, and so you can have kids with her, and then they'll be your kids, and so you can have an inheritance. And so he kind of gets the cart ahead of the horse and tries to move faster than God and has a kid named Ishmael. And, and God shows up again and says, hey, I know that you had Ishmael, but I meant for you to have a, a son with, with Sarah, with your wife Sarah, um, and that's the one who's going to be the son of the promise. He's going to be the one that inherits this promise. His name's going to be Isaac. Uh, his name's going to be Isaac, which means laughter, because every time somebody says to Abraham or to Sarah, hey, you're going to have a kid, uh, they laugh. <laughs> so they name their kid laughter. Um, and, and, and it happens. Uh, he, he renews the covenant again in chapter 17, and then the covenant is passed to his son Isaac in, in 26. Um, Abraham believed God, but he didn't necessarily have the patience to wait for God's timing. Is, is our faith in God tempered with patience for him to do what he said he's going to do? Sometimes I'm real quick to like try, okay, God, whatever you want to do, I'm good. Just drag me along. And sometimes I'm a little bit more eager. Yeah, let's go. Let's go and do this. And sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure how this is going to work. Maybe I can make it work faster and I'll stick it in the microwave and blow the whole thing up. Abe had a little bit of that, but by God's grace, he, he, uh, he preserved him. Is our faith in God tempered with patience for his timing? Because we're at 2000, 2100 BC. There's a lot of waiting to be done. It's, it's worse than waiting for presents at Christmas time. 
went and bought a Christmas present for my kids yesterday, and it's all I can do to not give it to them now because I just want to see them light up. Like, I'm excited about it. Is our faith in God tempered with patience for his timing? So we've got Abe, um, and then we've got Isaac, with, who also is the promise, and he's an interesting cat. But, but the next one I want to talk to, because he shows up in Mary's story, is, is, is Jacob. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 28, and we'll go to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. <coughs> so I'd say we're about 2000 BC here in Genesis chapter 28, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he's, he's moving, he's walking. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. It's getting dark. Taking, off, taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were descending, were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely Yahweh the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now, what I didn't read to you are kind of the interesting details of that story, which is the fact that as Jacob is, it just says he left Beersheba and went to Haran, which, you know, is whatever. He's leaving, and we don't know that from, you know, I don't know, Timbuktu. But he's leaving. He's actually running away for his life. He's just stolen something significant from his brother, and his brother has decided that he's going to kill him. And so Jacob's leaving his family and everything he grew up with, and he's on the run for his life. And as he's on the run, he he goes and he finds this place, and it's finally getting dark. So he lays down to sleep, and he's so beat, he just takes a rock, and he's using the rock for a pillow. And as he's at the rock, as he's sleeping, the rock from the pillow, he sees uh, a connection between earth and heaven. And this is a guy who, for his whole life, has been just trying to scheme and connive and trick and make sure that all the circumstances played out. He's a mastermind of of chess and trying to make sure that all the people in his life are doing exactly what he wants. And that's how he stole from his brother. And now he's seeing that behind the veil of all of the things that he knows he can manipulate and control on earth, there's a connection, a spiritual connection to heaven. There's a ladder from earth to heaven and the angels of God are sending messages back and forth. And he realizes, oh, maybe this is all real. Like I heard from grandpa that like there was this Yahweh God and, and, and that he had promised us this, he had promised grandpa this stuff. And, and, and my dad had talked about it too, but he was kind of a bum. Like he didn't really, he didn't really do anything. He, he said the right things sometimes, but, but just the way that he lived, he just was so like, unengaged, like you're just passive all the time. So I thought, I thought grandpa was crazy and I thought dad was just coasting on his coattails. But now, but now I can see that this is real, that God wants to do something in the world and he's going to use me to do it, that through me, all the nations, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. This, 
this connection between earth and heaven, I'm going to be a hinge point in it. And he begins that day to walk with God. Not perfectly, but he walks and he wrestles. And God uses him. I think sometimes we forget, especially like as parents, like we forget that there are just some things we cannot convey to our kids. We can tell them, like grandpa's story, in, in the first chair, Abraham walked with God. He knew God. And, and, and he was even willing to speed, try to speed God up on some things. And Isaac, he also like had met God once, but like for the most part, he didn't really didn't really do a whole lot, wasn't super engaged, wasn't really a part of his life. And so when it comes down to Jacob in the third chair, he's like, yeah, I've seen it. Like it didn't really matter that much to dad, although it obviously was real important to grandpa, but like that's just stories. But until God shows up and himself moves Jacob to the first chair of personal experience, he's not going to walk it out. We sometimes think that if I can just get our kids in the, in the right room, maybe they'll absorb the right things. I think they absorb our, 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 um, the way that we live more than what we say. And ultimately, the, the thing that makes a difference in their life is when God meets them on their road and puts them in the first chair. And then they get to decide what they're going to do with that. There's this connection, though, between things in earth that we can manipulate and control and, and the things that we're just barely aware of in the spiritual that really are impacting what's going on. How are we mindful that spiritual forces shape our experiences? Is it just about the gifts? Or is there something in our soul that feels like we can make it better if we spend more money? How are we mindful that spiritual forces shape our experiences? So Mary talks about Abe. Mary talks about Jacob and Israel. He'll have his name changed later. Um, and she also talks about David, or the angel tells her about David. So we're going to fast forward about 1,000 years to 1,000 B.C. Uh, to a guy named David. Now, there's a lot that's happened between Genesis and, and the book of 2 Samuel. So I'm going to ask you to navigate to 2 Samuel chapter 7. There's a lot of history that happens, and I'm a Bible nerd, so I could literally spend all day here talking to you about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm choosing not to. Um, suffice it to say that God was true to his promise, that Jacob, uh, Israel, uh, through four wives, which is another story, has 12 kids. Those 12 kids each become a tribe to themselves, a big family, a big tribe, and each of those 12 tribes become uh, functionally... A, a, a province. He gives them a land. It takes them a while to, to get it, but he gives them a land and each of them becomes their own territory and they work together a little bit, but not great. And then finally, we get to a place where they all are working together. They're all unified under one king. Um, and again, that wasn't really a, a clear line either. Um, you've heard of Saul maybe. And David is the second, maybe the third king, depending on how you count them. But David was a guy who get it, who got it. He wanted to walk with God. He was willing to be patient with God. Um, and he walked with God in a really special way. 
but he, he, he got it in his craw. He decided that the thing that he needed was to build God a house. That from the whole time after, after Abe and Jacob, from the 12 tribes all the way down to a guy named Mo, God had gone with uh, Moses. God had gone with uh, the tribes in a tent. He'd always traveled in a tent. So David's like, I built a big, a big palace. I want God to have a house. Like, let me build God a house. Um, and so that's the context. He says, I'm going to build God a house. But, but God uh, comes back through his, his prophet and says, actually, I don't need you to build me a house. But what I'm going to do is something greater. So read with me in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And look at verse 11. And you can see that at the beginning of verse 11 is we're kind of in the middle of a sentence. From that time, I'll appoint judges over my people Israel. Um, but that's where we're going to pick up. And I, so God's talking to David, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord, Yahweh, will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be to him a father when he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love, Chesed, will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So Nathan's the prophet talking to David. So David wanted to build a house for God, and God said, actually, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make you into a household. I'm going to establish a, a lineage, a, a line, a royal throne. And we, we actually know what David looks like. Here's a photo of him. Um, David, it wasn't a well-timed joke. It, it worked better in my head. But this is King David. He wanted to build a house for God. And God was like, actually, no, what's going to happen is I'm going to build a house for you. It's not going to be a house of brick and stone. It's not going to be made out of lumber. But it's going to be made out of the family that I'm growing from you. And it's going to go forever. You're going to be the king over a people forever, forever, forever. Now, the story goes... Um, that it, it doesn't actually happen that way, that he has, uh, even his son, before he dies, rebels against him and tries to take the throne and the kingdom gets divided and you've got these 10 tribes that stay with this part of the kingdom and those two tribes that stay with the other part of the kingdom and then there's civil war and it's really nasty and then one, one section all gets carried away by uh, the evil uh, nation of Assyria and then God's like, hey, I told you guys if you didn't walk with me that you'd be taken away and you saw what happened. I brought in Assyria and they took all these people away captive and so you should walk with me and they're like, neener, neener, God, I don't need to listen to you. So then Babylon comes in and takes away the rest of them and everybody gets put in timeout and everybody's real sad and they all cry about it. And then God brings them back into the land. But, but like that doesn't sound like I'll establish your throne forever, does it? That, that sounds like me trying to fix stuff and make it work, right? That doesn't sound like a, a promise from God that I'm going to establish your throne forever. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Like, that doesn't seem sure. That seems pretty shaky. I don't know that it was necessarily permanent. 
So what is it, what is it that God's talking about? Well, the angel reminds Mary, hey, this one that's coming, this child that's going to be born to you is going to sit on the throne of, your, of his father, David, the rightful king of Israel. And he's going to sit there forever. And here, I think, is our big idea for the, mo- for the morning. God knew he would send his son, and he did not keep it secret. God knew he would send his son, and he did not keep it secret. So here's the thing about the Bible. It's fascinating to me. Generation after generation, the, the Bible tells one continual story, and do you want to know what it sounds like? It sounds like this. Hi, my name's God. I created everything. I'd like to get to know you. I'd like to walk with you. Okay. Next person, next generation. Hi, my name is God. I walked with your fathers, kind of. They didn't really pay attention, but I'd like to walk with you. Okay, this is the next generation. Hi, my name is God. I walked with your father and your grandfather, and there was some tension there. Maybe you've forgotten, but I'd like to walk with you. And the next generation. Hi, my name is God. I kind of created everything, and I had a relationship with them, and I want to have a relationship with you, and I just would like for you to walk with me. Can you walk with me? No? Okay. Talk to the next generation. Hi, my name's God. I I made everything. And and that's the story of the Bible. God constantly reintroducing himself to people who should know and remember. God knew that he was in the sun. He didn't keep a secret. We just, we forget stuff. And I think that that is something that perhaps we should consider. If the people who knew that God was going to send his son, they knew that God was going to send his son, and they waited anxiously for the coming of the Messiah, if they knew it was coming and they eagerly anticipated it, and they still missed it when it happened, then maybe we ought to to take heed. Maybe we ought to say, maybe I don't completely understand everything that God's doing. Maybe, Maybe what is happening in heaven, I don't really know how it's going to impact earth. And I can trust God. I do trust God. that The work that he's doing in the world is important. And I want for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, but I don't necessarily understand how all that fleshes out. I have a difficult enough time loving my neighbor, much less understanding how all the world is going to end. So we want to have faith. We also have picked up that we want to have patience. We want to wait and, 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 and abide in God's timing but we also want to do that with humility. If the people who knew it was coming and waited anxiously for it still missed it, then maybe a dose of humility would do as well. So God told us that he was going to be sending his son, but why? Why does it matter? Like why, why, like <laughs> I'm a Bible nerd, so I could probably I'll try to wrap it up here. Um, we could talk for a long time about all the stuff that God's done in history, but why, why does the, this fancy word incarnation, put in flesh, God made in a body, why does that matter? Is it so that Jesus could teach us? Like, is it so that he could actually like, communicate and teach us and tell us the way that we ought to live? That might be a component of it. Like, he probably came with a goal to teach us things, but, but even like... God, like, hear this, like, if, if, if God himself communicated to you in a direct way and said, I would like for you to love your neighbor as yourself, and we still don't do it, then maybe teaching is not enough. 
Like maybe if, if, if teaching us the way that we ought to walk was enough, then we would have done it already. And Israel would have done it already. And, 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 and the people that followed Moses, they had a, they had a lot of teaching that they just kind of chucked out the window. Okay, so I don't, I don't need a teacher. I need somebody to model it for me. I need somebody to show me what it looks like. And yet as Jesus walked on the earth and modeled for people who knew the teaching what it would look like to love your neighbor as yourself and to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, that model was rejected by them. Yeah, we, we need to get rid of this. Let's kill the guy. But did Jesus come to teach us? Sure. Did he come to model it for us? Yeah, but I think those things in and of themselves, given how hard-headed I am, it's insufficient. What did Jesus come to do? Why did he come into a body? He came to save us to make a way for us to be right with God. And it was something that he couldn't do with a remote control from heaven. It was something that he had to come down, humble himself in God's timing, and follow him boldly to take on flesh, submit to, <laughs> submit to authorities that he gave them the power to rule while they unjustly condemned him to death so that he might win us to himself and make a way for us to be right. God knew that he'd send his son. He didn't keep it secret. So will we walk with him in faith, patiently, and in humility? Let's pray together. God, your story is so big, um, and I am... Not, uh, not eloquent enough to give it all. So Lord, I pray that if there's anything that's just my own opinion or a distraction, God, that all those things would be burned away. But Lord, where your word has been read today, I ask that it would not be returned void. God, would you speak clear through your word and would you burn it in our hearts? God, would you help us to receive your teaching? Would you help us to acknowledge your model, but Lord, would you save us and make it possible that we can walk with you at all? We need you, God. We pray that you would give us the faith that we need. Would you help us to wait on you patiently in your timing? Would you give us the humility to know that we are not God, but you are. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May our soul magnify the Lord for the work that he's doing. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.